Father, we thank you for the opportunity to meet together this morning in the freedom that we enjoy in this great nation. Father, we are especially thankful that we have freedom in Christ, a holiday that is soon upon us here. And Father, I would pray even now for our 3rd of July celebration. It's, it's more than fireworks. It's more than the food. It's more than the entertainment. It's really an opportunity to minister to our community to reach out to fellowship with one another and reach out to others. So I pray that you would even add your blessing to that event that the gospel may be furthered in Overbrook, Kansas and surrounding areas through an event that we host here on an annual basis. Father, we pray that you have your way with the rest of this service. And my prayer, Lord, from the very deep of my heart, Please don't let me mess up what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are continuing our look at the seven I wills of Jesus. And here is what we have covered so far. All accomplished because Jesus said, I will. We had conversion because we talk about the author of our salvation. And Jesus is the only one who can save. We had cleansing. Another word could be sanctification. Again, Jesus promised this cleansing. Confession, that if we confess uh, Christ before others, he will confess us before the Father who is in heaven. And then we had commitment. We talked about Christ making us, I will make you fishers of men. And Pastor Adam preached on comfort uh, a couple of weeks ago. We had a timeout for Father's Day, and now we are back. We are back with the consummation, which we will be talking about the resurrection. Today, today, I want us to be absolutely convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that we will not find our rest in the grave. Somebody say, praise God. There is no rest in the grave. I don't know where, I, I, I understand it, I guess. The old western tombstones always had what? Rest in peace. Well, folks, we would find no peace six feet under. None at all. But praise God, Jesus said he will raise us up on the last day. I remember, and I know I've shared this, but I remember when I went down and bought my cemetery plot, and they gave me a title, a deed to a piece of property. Had anybody, anybody else done that? No, I'm not trying to be morbid here. This was reality, right? And I explained to the person that I did not want to own it. I simply wanted to rent it. I was not going to be a permanent resident there. I was just going to pass through. Amen? And that's the hope of the believer. The hope of the believer is we pass through the grave. We instantaneous transition through this thing called death and are immediately alive in the presence of God, awaiting the resurrection of that old body to come out, join our resurrected body, and all is good and glory. Amen? Today we get a double, a double dose because as I studied this text, it, it became very, very uh, imperative to me 
that we understand the I am of the passage before we go to the I will of the passage. So we're going to get them both. Would you please stand at the reading of God's word this morning? We'll be in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 27. And Jesus said, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Please make a note of that. We're going to come back. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the, wor life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven. Have you noticed, please, if I may pause, how many times have we heard that already? This is important, very important. Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Praise God. Father, may your blessing be evident upon your word as it lives and breathes life into lifeless souls, as it encourages those who are saved. And may it all bring glory and honor to you in the name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So I hope as we went through this, we were able to very clearly see the I am, one of seven in John's gospel account, and the I will, but the I will followed the I am. So that brings us to the point, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the I am, so we'll be thoroughly convinced that he can do what he said if he said I will. If the I am says I will, consider it done, amen? First of all, Jesus defines his identity. He defines his identity. He said, I am the bread of life. Now, very quickly, when we see that in the passage, Jesus is very clearly presenting the fact that he is one with the Father. 
the I am of the burning bush in the wilderness was the voice of God the Father, and Jesus equates himself to that very moment. Moses said, who shall I say sent me to Pharaoh? And God said, tell him I am sent you. In another point in the Gospel of John, we find Jesus telling the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, that said, before Abraham was, I am. He is proclaiming his deity. He's very clearly proclaiming his deity. I am the bread of life. But then Jesus goes on and he clearly explains what the bread is. He's not going to leave anything out. He is the true living bread that came down from heaven. But he came not only for Israel this time, but for the whole world. And he came not just to sustain life, but to give life. Seven times in this sermon, our Lord referred to his coming down from heaven seven times in, 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 in all the texts and starting previously. John 6, 33, 38, 41, 42, 50, 51, and 58, a statement that declared him to be God. The Old Testament manna was but a type of the true bread, Jesus Christ. This is a bold claim, folks. This is a bold claim that he is the very son of God. The bread of God is a person from heaven. Well, you say, preacher, this is pretty elementary. Well, that's right where I learned the best. Amen? That's right where I learned. Keep it simple, and I'll get it sooner or later. He gives life, not just to the Jews, as Moses did, but the whole world. And then Jesus also clarified that Moses didn't give you the man in the first place. God did. God did. The way to receive this bread, Jesus goes on to say, is to come and take it. Come and believe. And this bread will give life not only today, but also life clear up in the future resurrection. See, the Jews rejected his deity. Jesus calls God his father in verse 32. The Jews said Joseph's his father. Jews says he's the, uh, Jesus said he's the bread of heaven. And the Jews said, well, we have manna from heaven. Just like the man in the wilderness. Jesus said, Moses didn't give you the manna, God did. And then Jesus basically says, I'm the manna. I'm the manna. I am the bread of life. So a very quick comparison, very quick, of the manna of the Old Testament. When the Hebrew nation was wandering in the wilderness, remember, the manna sustained them, sustained them through that time. Let's see how it compares to the Son of God. First of all, the manna came from heaven at night. Christ came from heaven when men were in darkness. It fell on the dew. Christ came born of the Spirit of God. It was not defiled by the earth. Christ was sinless, separate from sinners. It was small, round, and white, suggesting his humility, eternality, and purity. It was sweet to the taste. Christ is sweet to those who trust him. It had to be taken and eaten. Christ must be received and appropriated by faith. It came as a free gift. Christ is the free gift of God into the world. There was sufficient for all. Now listen to this carefully. Christ is sufficient for all. Now I didn't say that all would be saved. All will not be saved. Some will be lost. But Christ is sufficient to save all. All. 
every one. If you did not pick up the manna, you walked on it. If you do not receive Christ, you reject him and trod him underfoot. It was wilderness food, and Christ is our food in this pilgrim's journey here on this earth until we get home. It's amazing, isn't it? Christ was in the manna. Christ is the manna. Christ wanted the people to see him as more than a miracle worker. They needed to see him for who he is. Jesus is the burning bush that drew Moses' attention. Jesus is the eternal God who was before Abraham. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was and is and is to come. The manna and the water that flowed from the rock, both are Christ. If we don't get who the I am is, we'll never experience the full promise of the I will. <gasps> yeah. That is our introduction. The multitudes were seeking physical bread that would temporarily satisfy. Jesus offered them eternal satisfaction. The multitude wanted Jesus to perform for them, entertain them. Let's have another miraculous meal. Let's eat. Let's enjoy some, some, some healings or some miraculous things. Jesus said, you know what? I came to provide what you really needed, what you really needed. I came not to give you everything that would just sustain you for, for just a little while. I came to give you eternal life, and that's where we'll get to the resurrection. So many people are gorging themselves today on the things that never really satisfy. The crowd wanted the bread so they would not have to toil to maintain life. People today still want Jesus Christ only for the benefits he's able to provide and not the life that he wants to impart. Be careful how we approach Christ in our salvation. So many today want to be entertained, fed what they order off of the spiritual menu or worldly menu. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost and call lost sinners to repentance. In his reply to their request, Jesus used two key words that often appear in this sermon. Come and believe. Come and believe. To come to Christ means to believe on him, and to believe on him means to come to him. Are you staying with me? Are we tracking? Please say, wait a minute. All right, where do you want me to start? At the beginning. This morning, we are going to take a look at the I am. <laughs> I love it. I love it. To come to Jesus clearly indicates an act of the will. I must make a decision to come to Jesus. And once I come to Jesus, I will be compelled to believe. Believing is not merely an intellectual thing. Giving mental assent to some doctrine Listen, there are thousands, maybe millions of people that would say, I agree with this doctrinal statement. I agree with this biblical statement. I agree with this moral statement. But still be lost. Still be lost. It's not an intellectual assent. It's not a knowledge thing. It comes, well, it is a knowledge thing, but it's knowing Christ. 
It's knowing Christ and him crucified. Paul said, I, 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 I consider everything else as lost. I consider everything that my life, that I have produced in my life to this point, I consider it all rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ and him crucified. That's deep knowledge. That's deep spiritual knowledge, not just the knowledge of facts or the acquisition of information. That's life-changing knowledge. It means to come to Christ and yield ourselves to him. And at the close of this sermon, Jesus illustrated coming and believing by talking about eating and drinking. And guess what happened when he got to that point in the text where he started talking about eating and drinking? What happened? Does anybody know? Everybody left. Everybody left. As soon as he started teaching on eating and drinking, his body, his flesh, everybody left. He turned around to the disciples and said, what are you guys going to do? You want to leave too? No, Lord. Peter said, no, Lord. You know why? Because you have the words of life. And if you're curious as to where that is, and this may be news to many of you, who is I talking to? Stan Friesen. John 666, the 666 of John's gospel is when they all turned away and left him. Wow. Now, I admit, and make sure you understand, those numbers were not there <laughs> when this text was written. That was added later, okay? But 666 found in John's gospel. Chris, are you checking me out? Are we okay? All right, we'll continue. Pray. Are you having fun this morning? Have a little fun and learn at the same time. Jesus defines his identity. Secondly, Jesus declares his authority. In this portion of scripture, we have one of the most proud, powerful, profound theological teachings to be found. It settles the issue between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. How about that for a morning message? And clearly teaches both are true. So important, listen very carefully as we move through this, John 6, 37 through 40. These are among the most profound words he ever spoke. We cannot hope to, uh, one writer says, plumb their depths completely. He explained that salvation involves both divine sovereignty and human responsibility. The Father gives men and women to the Son, John 6, 37, 39, 17, 2, 6, 9, 11, and 12, and 24. You writing those down. Be quick. But these men and women must come to him. So he gives men and women to the Son, but these men and women must come. Do you see it? Sovereignty of God, free will of man. To come to him, that is to believe on him. He assured them that nobody who come to him would ever be lost, but would be raised up on the last day. So we've taught the sovereignty of God, we've taught the free will of man, and we've taught the security of the believer. My gosh, Adam, where can we go from here? They're all here. Oh, we've got to get to the resurrection. That's point three. Even death cannot rob us of salvation. In regard to the last days, John 6, 40, 44, 54, Jesus was referring to his return and final events that climax God's program for mankind, the resurrection of the dead. From a human and limited perspective, we cannot see how 
sovereignty and human responsibility work together, but from God's perspective, there is no division nor conflict. When a church member asked Charles Spurgeon how he reconciled these two, he replied, I never try to reconcile friends. It is the Father's will the sinners be saved and that those who trust in Christ be secured in their salvation. Believers receive eternal life and Jesus can never lose them. God calls us, we say yes or no. Someday God will stop calling. You better answer now. You better answer now. This is such a critical point. Not only does this passage explain salvation, but it clearly explains security. One more time, let me read the text. All, Jesus is speaking, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise him up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Who does the Father give to the Son? Those who believe. Sovereignty, free will. The Son, let's break it down as a summary. The Son is God's gift to us. We are God's gift to the Son. Then the Son gives us back to the Father. And the Holy Spirit handles all the transfers. Do you see it? Isn't this a beautiful passage? My goodness, and we're just scratching the surface. It is the will of the Father that everyone who believes in His Son should have eternal life. It is the will of the Father who gave the Son that the Son should not lose one who the Father has given Him. Who can undo what the Son of God can do? Who can override the will of God the Father? Will God take His gift back from the Son? Will the Son violate the Father's will and lose a believer? Those are questions that have to be asked. And I assure you, if you are here this morning and you have repented of your sins and placed your faith in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, you are secured by his sovereign act of salvation, regeneration, and new birth. Celebrate! Celebrate his grace. Who can undo what God has done? Can I now outsend his grace? so that he would remove his seal upon me. He would have to unadopt me, unjustify me, unsanctify me, and undo everything the blood of Christ has already done. Lay hold of these truths, my friend, and you shall be free. Guess what? We're going to close with our sermon series, I Will. I Will. Jesus defined his identity, declared his authority, and now he defends his reliability. We can trust him. He will never disappoint us. He will not only save those who repent and believe, he will secure truly born-again believers. Why? Because salvation is a sovereign act of God. 
The old saying is, we contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. That's all we bring. That's all we bring. Death and grave are not the end. There is coming a resurrection. Jesus said, I will raise him up on the last day. Any problems, any questions with that promise? Any questions? For we do not want you to be misinformed, brothers, about those who fall asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, a command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. God, through his word, says that one day Jesus is going to appear in the heavens. Now, now, oh boy, we got to, this is not his second coming. This is his appearing. His second coming means he's going to set foot on this planet. Then everything's going to be He's going to just take care of everything at that moment. This is his appearing. This is what we call the rapture, the being caught up. One day, we're going to hear a rocket coming from glory. We're going to hear a noise. We're going to hear a voice. We're going to hear a trumpet. We're going to hear, it's going to get really noisy for the believers. And guess what? The graves are going to give up their dead. Now, this means that for the believers who have already been with Christ in spirit, are now going to receive their glorified bodies in the first resurrection. And we will meet the Lord in the air if we decease. Now, 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 so, so those who have died in Christ are the first ones to get there. Do you see it? The reconciliation. So those who have died in Christ are the first ones to come out of the grave. And whatever that body's going to look like, we know this, it's going to be eternal and it's going to be completely, there will be no disease, no, no aging, no, no hurt, no pain, no sorrow, no tears, no mourning. All those things have passed away. Those people are going to meet Christ in the air and somehow be reconciled to that spirit which is already in the presence of God. Amen? And then those who are still alive are going to say, wow, what a deal. We're gone. We're gone. We're out of here. Now, you know what? I don't really care if you believe in the pre-trib rapture or mid-trib rapture. It doesn't really matter to me. I don't care if you want to stay till the end. I don't think you will, but I don't care if you want to. But one of these days, Jesus is going to appear in the heavens and gather his people from the four corners of the earth, and we're going to be out of here, folks. And, and if you have, know someone who has died in Christ, there is your hope. There is where our hope is, is resting, as you use that word that I didn't want to use earlier. That's where our hope rests, is the grave will not hold them. The grave will not hold us because Christ said, I will. I tell you this, brothers, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. 
Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed for this imperishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death has been swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord Jesus declared on the island of Patmos to the to the apostle John he said fear not I am the first and the last and the living one I died and behold I am alive forevermore and I have the keys to death and Hades Christ is going to unlock everything folks we're free we're free but wait but wait there's another resurrection in Scripture. There's another resurrection in Scripture. This one isn't quite so pleasant. This one isn't quite, well, matter of fact, it has no joy or hope in it at all. There's more than one resurrection promise. You see, we have focused on the joy of the first resurrection. When Jesus comes, this is the joy and the hope of every believer. But the unsaved will experience the power of the Lord Jesus Christ also, folks. Their resurrection has no joy and no hope. Truly, truly, in John chapter 5, Jesus said, I say an hour is coming, and now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel in this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear the voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence the earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done, and the sea gave up this dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead. Who had the keys to death and Hades? Remember? Remember? And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is a second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he is thrown into the lake of fire. Folks, don't be late for the first resurrection, please. Don't, don't miss the first resurrection. The second one's not pretty. It is not pretty at all, and I am not trying to demean this. I'm not trying to, to make light of it. But if you want hope, if you want guaranteed, secured hope, then please come to Jesus this morning. Come to Jesus. If you are not sure if you're saved, if you're sitting here this morning and you can picture in your mind a bold preacher coming up and asking you personal questions like, 
are you saved? And you say, I hope so, I'm telling you, you're in danger. If I ask, will you go to heaven when you die? And you say, I hope so, you are in danger. Why? Because that isn't what Scripture says. Scripture says you can know by believing these things. You can know. You can be absolutely certain. Jesus promised. And if you're a think so or a hope so, then you're not resting in the promises that the Son of God has made. This is critical, folks. This is critical that you can confidently say, not out of arrogance, not out of self-achievement, not out of any personal contribution other than you came and believed, you need to confidently be able to say, yes, at the moment I die, I'm going to be standing in the presence of God in all of glory, celebrating forever and ever and ever. By the authority of Jesus Christ, you can say that. And if you're not sure, you may not be. You may not be ready for death yet. Father, I pray that these words will live, not the words of a preacher, your words, your words as written in the Holy Scriptures. And Father, I believe you're calling people. I believe that you have extended the calls to some people right here this morning to come to the Son. And the only way they can get there is to make a decision to. May this be the morning of salvation. May this be the morning when some will celebrate their participation guaranteed in the first resurrection. May someone be your gift to the Son this morning. In Christ's name.